Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week we've got Kurt Russell's Car Salesman Week. With used cars and Jack Burton in the Porkchop Express for Big Trouble in Little China. The check is in the mail. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Alright, well, should we talk about something else, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> something less depressing. Like selling used cars? Yeah, is that, is that like less depressing? A, like a like a, a weirdly funny and yet somehow kind of really fucking dark movie <laughs> about used cars. Uh, was this the first time I watched for you, Doug? Yeah, I'd never even like when it went on the list. I was like, I don't even know what this is. I and then I googled see. used cars, and this is not the first thing that pops up when you used cars. <laughs> it's mostly pictures of cars. So. <laughs> see, I find that I find that I don't know because it's one of those movies. This is kind of like the movie that put Kurt Russell like on the map as a genuine movie star. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I accept uh, that because of the timing, but it's not like I'm not. I guess, and this is maybe if you can learn to accept this fact about me. It'll make you, your mind will be blown quite so often. But I rarely go back and look at like old comedies from other eras. Like I will go back and search out old horror movies if I find a director I like, and then I'll go look for his past stuff or whatever. Or you know, even to some extent, like you know, action movies or whatever. But comedies for me tend to be time and place so that I don't necessarily seek older ones to watch. I mean, and I, I, I definitely like understand and respect that <laughs> that view because comedies from different time periods don't necessarily work although this one I feel like it's it's timeless in its 80s-ness well it's never going to be called timeless because of the outfits which is <laughs> but this, I can't I'm, I'm able to forgive that just so we're clear well that's it I mean but it's this weird, uh, vague 80s time capsule kind of thing where you can't tell if it actually is an 80s movie or a movie that's making fun of people from the 80s. Well, specifically 1980, so I mean, technically it's still the 70s. Yeah, that is a, that is a carryover policy from our previous podcast. Right. The, the 70s lasted until whatever 83 or whatever Scott's weird rule was. Yes, yes indeed. <laughs> Uh, well, we're going to push through. Doug, do you want to tell us what uh, Used Cars is all about? Yeah, um, you 
used cars is about uh, there's these two brothers that own car dealership used car dealerships across the street from each other and they're the old time used car dealerships for if we have younger listeners there used to just be these really slimy gross businesses on the side of the road that sold used cars now most used cars at least around here are sold through new car dealerships but back then that wasn't a thing um and Kurt Russell is sort of the head salesman at the one dealership and he is trying to sell as many cars as possible so that he can bribe his way into a state senatorship which is sort of hilarious um and then it's it's weird that it's funny and at the same time of all the ridiculous things in this movie you don't blink an eye at that you're like yeah that's how that works no i i was the whole time i was doing the math in my head because he's trying to gather sixty thousand dollars for his bribe and i'm like is that enough and like 1980 money and i'm like no one knows how to do this math in his head we proved that last week so it's like maybe he'll be able to tell me exactly what that translates to uh, i can i can state senatorship goes for i can usually only do it from the 70s yeah, from, but like, we, like we said, it's still the 70s, even though it's 1980. Yeah, from from the 80s, it's probably, I don't know, that's probably close to 80 to uh, 100,000, maybe, maybe 90,000. Yeah, right. So anyways, he's doing that. Um, there's something to do with, I, I, didn't, I didn't even really follow it because it doesn't matter, but there's something to do with like a freeway that's coming through. Mm-hmm. So the one brother wants to, t- the, uh, the evil brother wants to take over the dealership where Kurt Russell works. So he has his own brother murdered by having somebody uh, stunt drive him around so that he naturally has a heart attack. Um, <laughs> but then in order to prevent the brother from taking over the dealership, Kurt Russell and his co-workers decide to bury the body and claim that their owner just went on vacation and he's not dead. Uh, eventually, the his daughter shows up. The owner's daughter shows up, so now she'll be the one that inter- is going to inherit the, uh, the, the thing. So it becomes a battle of the uncle now trying to steal his niece's car lot and they do so by editing her commercial to make it look like she lied in a commercial because apparently if you lie in a tv commercial in 1980 you will be put in jail within 48 hours of the commercial airing (laughs) um which that was a hard thing to swallow to watch this movie um so then Kurt Russell has to learn his lesson and he uses his bribe money to buy a shit ton of used cars and have them delivered to the lot so that technically she didn't tell a lie and she won't have to go to jail. Yeah. That I mean plot wise, that's what happened, but we are talking about a comedy film here. Right. So plot isn't really what you watch this movie. <laughs> tenuous tenuous at best is what I would yeah. call the plot of this entire movie. It's, I had a lot of trouble with the whole courtroom stuff. I was I'm like my suspension of disbelief only goes so far and you've got okay, so she they edited in to make it look like she tells a lie in her commercial, which is that she says I have a mile of cars to choose from and apparently that's to be taken literally so then they're um they have to go through straight to court 
to do that. At the courtroom scene, the uncle and his lawyer are acting as the prosecutors for the Consumer Protection Agency, <laughs> who has interpreted we have a mile of cars to be a legitimate, like straightforward statement and not a figure of speech of any kind. And then the judge is like, well, we'll just go measure all the cars. Problem solved. And conveniently, uh, Kurt Russell has exactly enough money to buy a mile's worth of cars. You, uh, you must, you must refer to the judge and his given Christian name, which is Judge Grandpa Munster. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> I was happy to see him on screen. I'll tell you that. He came out and then there's something about the fact that it was Grandpa Munster too. Like there is that whole thing where like they go out because they're going to go to the car dealership to measure all the cars. <laughs> and he walks outside and he's like, why did I agree to go to a car dealership on such a nice day? I could have been golfing. And I'm like, there's the corruption I like to see. That is. But because it's Grandpa Munster, you're like kind of enjoying hearing him say those things that are objectively horrible. <laughs> I was going to say, but. All that Grandpa Monster stuff was just to set up the excellent scene that is somewhere in between uh, the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome car battle scene and yeah. the tank chase yeah. scene from uh, The Last Crusade. <laughs> but, with used, yeah. but with used cars and student drivers. Yeah, there's like there's there's a, a B plot that for in case other people haven't watched this, like there's so much that goes on in this movie that we're gonna have to get through. But the B plot is that Kurt Russell sold a bunch of shitty cars to a school board to teach their students to drive in, and then the students are all gonna fail their driver's ed because they don't have any road experience. So at the end of the movie, they reconcile all the problems at once by having those students drive the used cars to the lot and it turns into a giant chase scene across a desert with people <laughs> jumping over trains and everything because at that point fuck it I guess you're jumping <laughs> over trains I don't know <laughs> uh, I, I always have that issue with like these types of movies is it always turns into some ridiculous action scene at the end and I'm usually bored during it Oh. That's th this one wasn't poorly done or anything. It's just more of a problem I have with this subgenre of filmmaking. I was gonna say, did that apply to this? Were you bored during this movie? Just just in the big car chase scene at the end, I'm just like, this is again. You've pushed me beyond my suspension of disbelief. I have no. There's nothing nerve-wracking about, oh, do you think they'll make it? Of course they'll fucking make it. Like, it's not so... He, like, you know, that's like... Well, quite, do you think Kurt Russell and the pretty girl will end up together? Like, yeah, no, I don't, we don't need that. There's no tension, and therefore the action scenes don't hold much water for me. And that, again, it's not specific to this film. It's pretty much all of these types of comedy films. I don't know. I guess I, guess I accept that, but I just... The stunt work in that chase scene is fucking fantastic for a comedy. It, it is well done. It's worth noting that, like, Robert Zemeckis directed this film, which means everything is very well done. Whether it's something you're interested in watching or not, it's not poorly executed. And someone's name, Bob Gale, that works with Zemeckis a lot, did the, uh, they wrote the script together. Like, it's... So it's a well-executed film, no matter how you measure it. I do love... I do love the heightened uh, reality of this film where 
I, the only thing I can compare it to is the weird, uh, super grimy New York from movies that never actually existed and or did exist, and we <laughs> just have no proof that it ever existed. <laughs> but but it's it's that. But instead of the way people view dangerous, dark New York, it's the way people see used car dealerships. Yeah, yeah, like, it is. Like, it's so over the top with how just unethical oh, yeah. and bastardy everyone... I mean, there is no good person in this movie. They're all terrible. No. Uh, maybe the daughter that shows up, maybe her. Um, yeah, but, but what, it, wasn't she off in a cult or something for a while? Well, commune. Commune. We don't know. If, we don't know how culty it was. It's <laughs> debatable. I mean, but even at the end of the movie, the big character shift at the end isn't that Kurt Russell learns to be honest and do good business. It's that the girl he likes learns to lie to customers to sell cars. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> The, the opening scene of this movie was because I had no idea. I didn't even watch a trailer. I didn't know what the plot was. I knew Kurt Russell was in it. It was called Used Cars, and Brian arranged it so I could watch it for free. So I was like, this is all working out great. <laughs> um, and I'm just like, all right. So I turn it on, and then the opening scene is he's rolling back the odometer in a car. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty funny. Like, that's a, a good joke about how used carsmans are sleazy. And then the bumper falls off the car and he sticks it back on with gum. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, now now I understand what I've gotten myself into here. <laughs> and their portrayal of used carsman, it never holds back. You've got, you know, I mean, one used carsman kills his brother. You know, not to mention the fact that because it's the 80s, he just tells his mechanic, like, go... Uh, go ask to test drive that car and then drive so crazy that it kills that guy and his mechanic just goes along with that there's not even an implication that he's paid extra or anything for the day it's just it's just that's what your task is today is murder the guy across the street <laughs> but the you know the the response to that is oh well then we'll, we'll uh, bury the body in the back of the lot and just continue as if nothing happened so I can continue to bribe my way into the senate you know as you do <laughs> no good guys. Well, I mean, there's there's all sorts of stuff. So Kurt Kurt Russell is your uh, once again hyper reality stereotypical. I'll sell you a lemon car salesman, and like his number one is Bud the Chud. Uh, yep. With who's who? His big thing is that he has an extraordinarily well trained dog that he uses to scam people into buying cars. <laughs> That scene where he tricks that family into thinking that they ran over the dog is one of my favorite things about the movie, for sure. Like, he's he's got the dog and he's holding it up and he's, like, showing the whole family how cute it is and everything. And then he just sets the dog down and the dog's trained to run under the car and play dead. And I just started laughing when that dog went under there. He puts, gonna say, put, like, a rock by the wheel or something. Yeah, I was going to say it. Toby was awesome. I want I want a beagle just like Toby. Yeah. I was going to say I my my favorite part of this movie is, in which I've seen it a few times, but it's always the fucking commercials. The yeah, commercials, commercials that they oh, and they just get they're so ridiculous. Like the, you know the first one, it's kind of an accident. You know they've got that woman's tits out on camera and stuff and. <laughs> It's showing all the people at home, like, did he just say fuck? And then it's like, tits. Oh. 
But, my favorite part of that is like how obvious it was that when he's like, now we're going to pop the hood and you're like, the hood's hooked on her dress. I know exactly what's coming. And you have a couple of seconds to build up to it. And you're just like, and then when he pops the hood and it goes up and pulls her dress off and you're just like, yep. It was, it was, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was, well, that was, uh, that whole scene was very, very fun until the very end. when Some guy reached in and grabbed her boob. And I'm like, oh, you made it stop being a little bit fun there for a sec oh, by making it all eighties rapey. There is a way worse one than that later on in the movie. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but then you know it goes from that to their their second big promotion where they have all the strippers on top of the cars while the uh, the guy across the street has brought in tons and tons of customers for a carnival. <laughs> Again, when you talk about this, like, hyper-reality, it's like this idea that every time one of them does something to the other, it completely either skyrockets the business or completely drains it, one or the other. So they're yeah. like, oh, no, he put in a circus. Now everyone in town is over there buying a car off of him. We'll put up some strippers. Now everyone from over there walks over, like, <laughs> everybody just, to, oh, immediately, oh, strippers. Well, we'll buy cars over there then. You know, because that's a, a major factor when you're buying cars is whether or not the strippers are interested in it. Right. I was going to say, but the third commercial, the commercial in which they they pirate the television station over a presidential address by Jimmy Carter. <laughs> that commercial is, I swear to fucking God, if somebody made that commercial in real life, I would probably buy a fucking car from that car lot. <laughs> that Where he's talking about the guy, and he's like, aren't you nervous? And he's like, nervous? I'm on so much fucking Valium vibrating. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah. like, he's like, I'm not lowering prices. I'm not busting prices. I'm blowing the shit out of <laughs> literally <laughs> shooting the cars yeah shoot the fucking cars <laughs> and oh the last one I'm trying to remember what it is he's god what the fuck is the nice car the car that's up on the thing uh, it's like a Mustang or something and he's like is that a Mustang for 24 fucking thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> fuck that shit kaboo <laughs> <laughs> Good old 1980 when uh, when you could just interrupt a television signal and people weren't recording it or DVRing it, so there'd be no trace of it afterwards. So right. there's no frame by frame trying to identify who it is that's in these commercials. Right, and somehow wearing a fake mustache is enough to keep people from recognizing you. Yeah, that <laughs> right. Again, not exactly set in the real world, this movie. Right. Um, but yeah, it's. I did like too, though, when the uh, when the cops did figure it out and they came looking for them. They're like, "Did you guys cut into the president?" And say, "Hey, we're running a respectable business. Don't associate us with the president of the United States." <laughs> that made me laugh because I'm like, it was Jimmy Fuck Carter. Like, yeah. can you imagine how they would feel today? Well, I'll tell you what the the sweet sweet irony was is when Jimmy Carter was president, people fucking hated him. <laughs> well, what's funny is uh, so Spielberg is a producer on this, and he was not a fan of them bashing on Jimmy Carter because he was Jimmy Carter supporter, yeah. and wanted them to take all that stuff out, but they refused. And one of them is because Zemeckis is from Chicago, where he feels all politicians are corrupt. Yeah. 
Which makes sense from where he's from. Well, I mean, it's it's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So he fought to keep all that stuff in. So. Yeah, I don't know. This this movie kind of like it just goes. There isn't a lot of downtime. No, not at all. Uh, this was the first time I watched for me too, and I was I was kind of a big fan of it. Yeah, that, the whole like middle part where they're going back and forth, I, I laugh out loud, funny for much of the film. <laughs> I was well, I, I was gonna say I think this this movie's kind of that one of those perfect storm things where I think if you change anything, this movie doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Like the, the director kind of nailed it. The writers wrote very uh, straightforward, but poignant jokes. And you needed actors who could both play uh, God awful pieces of shit but are so likable that you can't help but enjoy the character. <laughs> well, especially Kurt Russell's character. He is just, he's so over the top. It's, he's like, it's like Larry from Three's Company, but then filtered through Kurt Russell's charm. It's ridiculous. <laughs> right. And like I said, and it just works. I don't know. Even even the bad guy who murders his brother. Uh, God damn it! What's that actor's name? I can't ever fucking remember. Jack, Jack Warden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's one of those people that even whenever he's playing a son of a bitch, he's just so likable. Yeah. Well, it helps that he played both brothers. Right. Well, yeah, that was that was a really good move on their part to have him play both parts. I enjoyed that a lot. Because they're such different characters, mm. to sort of have them be the same guy and just do the old oh, we're brothers. One has a mustache and one doesn't. That's a that's a gag I always <laughs> like. Yeah, apparently, from what I read, he didn't really want to do the movie, but uh, somebody told him like, "Oh, just just put this stuff in the movie. He'll totally do it." And it's something about like he likes to play characters that are drunk and. Oh, what the fuck else is it? I don't know. It's just like a lineup of like, you know, actors like to do these these three things. If you put all three of these things in the movie, he'll totally do it. I would have to assume his is shouting rants because every fucking movie he's in. Yeah, it seems to be his thing. <laughs> oh, it was being drunk and playing dead were the two that got him. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, all right, I guess I'll do it. I'll play two different characters. One of them gets dead. One of them gets drunk at some point point it'll be great Fair enough. that scene where he's okay so they've weekend of style weekend of bernie style they've put his body in the car and they're gonna fire the car across the street to explode so it. great that's how they're gonna make it look like he died that day so they don't get caught for having buried the body weeks ago <laughs> um his ability to play dead in that scene is really good for a minute i'm like did they get like a really good puppet no, I think that's just him. Just literally has stuff taped over his eyes, like coins taped over his eyes. <laughs> and then they're just, and he's just sitting there wobbling back and forth as they're setting him up the car and pouring the gasoline over and shit. I really enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, and then, uh, of course, the superstitious guy who doesn't like red cars ends up in a red car at the end, freaks out. 
does Doug's favorite thing where he jumps over a train. I gotta I got say the uh, um, the returning joke of his his uh, superstition. I, I did mm-hmm. get a little bored of that. Yeah. Hmm. What about I when they were show, showing cars to people and he's just out there banging a chick in one of the cars in front of everybody? <laughs> I, I was going to say, of, of all the complaints I have about uh, a plot line that doesn't actually totally make sense, is they have the scene in the bar where he uh, Kurt Russell's character put all of his money on the other team. That than the one he was supposed to, according to the luck guy, and the luck guy goes on this rampage of doing unlucky things to fuck himself to make him <laughs> lose, so Kurt Russell's team will win. And by the end of it, they all kind of buy into it, at least a little. Yeah. Mm. But then at the end of the movie, where he's like, "Red cars don't mean shit," and it's like, "Well, clearly, the, the guy." you think he was right because of the whole scene in the bar with him smashing mirrors and scooting under ladders and throwing salt all over the place. Yeah, they do kind of like, they prove that he was correct and then turn around and convince him that he was not correct. Almost like they just mean-spiritedly or like, let's let him believe that he was incorrect this whole time, even though we know that that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I ended up having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it is it is delightful. If if we hadn't have been doing Kurt Russell month, this movie would have been in good pairing for uh, the goods. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The Jeremy Piven one. Yeah, Jeremy Piven. Damn it, that that movie's fun as fuck. The only thing, because I, I didn't I didn't see the movie, but I did remember when they were promoting it, and he him and Ken Jong and somebody else were technically guest hosts on Monday Night Raw. Yeah. And it was obvious at some point that Jeremy Pivot has no idea what goes on in wrestling, so he, uh, on the show called SummerSlam Summerfest at one point. That's pretty funny. Oops. Yeah. But then the funny thing was, when someone corrected him, like, you know, live on air... He's like, okay, well, the dude's banned from SummerSlam then. And then we're going to find some place called Summerfest, and we're going to ban him from that, too. <laughs> that, uh, you guys you guys probably need to see that one, too. That, it's, it's a fucking funny-ass movie. I've seen but, that. I think I saw that in theaters. I don't think I've seen it since. Yeah, there's, there's a running joke in the movie where they keep referring to an incident where some kind of promotion went wrong and Jeremy Piven's best friend died. And it's like all the way at the end of the movie where you, they finally do a flashback and you find out what happened. And Will Ferrell plays the best friend. <laughs> and he was supposed to parachute out of an airplane dressed as Abraham Lincoln and, and land and talk about emancipating prices or something weird like that. But Jeremy Piven was hooking up and fucking some chick and their bags got switched. So... <laughs> Will Ferrell's character jumps out of the airplane and whenever he pulls the strap, it's just like dildos jump out of his parachute bag. <laughs> it's so ridiculous, but it's one of those things that Will Ferrell's delivery totally makes it worth it because he's like, I always knew this is how it was going to end. Falling from an airplane dressed like Abraham Lincoln, surrounded by big purple dildos. 
Now I kind of want to watch that movie again. Should we get back to talking about this one, though? We should. Because we haven't, like, we haven't even done a deep dive into all of the characters yet that are, almost without exception, I think, all well executed. We've kind of talked about the first three. Yeah. There's like the the mechanic guy. Mm-hmm. He's really funny. I don't know why he's playing it as if he's one of those like simpleton characters that exist in eighties movies. It doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> well, and I it's don't, like I don't quite understand the running joke of he just falls asleep working on cars all the time. Don't understand it. I don't they call it like combat fatigue at some point. Maybe. So yeah. are they saying he has something from being in the war or something? No, I, I don't know. I feel like the whole he was thing is from work. I was going to say, I thought the the whole thing is just a setup for an excuse for that dog to piss on his face. Right. So you're saying totally worth it because that dog pissing on his face was amazing. (laughs) I like the fact that you think it's not going to work for a second and then all of a sudden he comes running out. You motherfucker. (laughs) Uh, Anybody ever see batteries not included? Of course. Uh, He played a very simpleton character on that as well. Yeah. He's good at it, and it, like, it's hard to discuss it because it's like, outside of the '80s, you should never do that. No, but in the '80s, that was just okay. <laughs> like, I think it was almost progressive at the time that we're like, see, we're not going to put him in a home. We're going to let him be a mechanic. <laughs> uh, um, okay, what char- What not? Now what character? What about, uh, I don't know the characters' names, but uh, the guys that were rigging up the, uh, the to intercept the TV signals and stuff, which was like Michael McKean. Oh, and yeah, Lenny and... I don't know the guys in the Squiggy, I just all I know. <laughs> Say Lenny and Squiggy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those guys interacting off each other were great, and when the reveal came that they were so good at electronics that they had felt the guy his own pacemaker. It <laughs> 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 just... This guy takes his shirt off and he's just got like a little scar that's clearly like man, just like hand done. And you're like, yeah, there's a pacemaker in there. It's like, oh God. <laughs> Shit like that just made me laugh. Do you think that having Lenny and Squiggy in this would have been like the equivalent of putting like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in a movie? Pretty much. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe not at that same level. I'm yeah. not sure though. Well, I think they they would have been super famous because you got to remember there was only three TV stations back in the day. It's true. It's it's hard for me to put it in that context. I have yeah. issues with that just because my brain doesn't work that way. Yeah, I'm just wondering if people saw this movie and they're like, "Holy shit, it's Lenny and Squiggy!" Like they got all excited. And... I mean, the, I would think so. The weird thing is, uh, fuck, brain fart. Uh, the blonde one Michael McKeon thank you Uh, he's been in a bajillion funny movies right and and just an epic ass career and I cannot see him and not go yeah that's the guy from Spinal Tap like that's (laughs) forever forever he's the guy from Spinal Tap yeah was Spinal Tap out at this point I don't know. I can't remember what year that was. Seventies, maybe. Hang on, I got 
had a call on it up here right now because we're not. It, no, it's Final Tap was until '84. '84. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's that seems way later than I would have thought it was. I don't know. I don't. Even, I've never even seen Spinal Tap. I've only ever. I know it from its uh, reputation and from uh, references to it in pop culture. Note to self: Add Spinal Tap to the list. So I've never seen it either. Really? God damn it! <laughs> Noah's just had his mind blown. Do you see, Noah? If if you don't want your mind blown, you're gonna have to learn to live with the fact that <laughs> some of us don't seek out comedies that are from before our time because it's just not something we do. But it's it. I I, uh, I thought it was just one of those I thought that would be one of those movies that everyone has seen because otherwise you don't get the 10 million Spinal Tap references but it it's one of those movies that's referenced so often that at this point I get it because of the reference <laughs> like do you know what I mean yeah. like I understand you're turning stuff up to 11 I understand you're replacing the drummer every couple of minutes like I I don't really need to see the movie to get the references that are made always what about that scene where the guy was saying hey 50 bucks never killed anybody and then the guy literally died in front of him and ruined the negotiations because I like to drag things back to the movie we're supposed to be talking about (laughs) fine I'll sign it I'll sign it Uh, yeah I was going to say like I said every joke still lands pretty well in this film yeah a lot of them do it's, yeah, there's there are contextual uh, rapey 80s things that cause problems. Mm-hmm. The, the end scene where they're getting all of the cars and the the owner's daughter chick is stepping off that thing. And that dude literally grabs her by the tit like <laughs> and helps her down. Yeah. yeah. And not like gently. I, I don't know. There's there's something yeah, so it's, awful about that that brief the, little moment that it's upsetting. It's there's that there's there's that other tit grab that I referenced in the first commercial. There's even just the whole thing where like okay, so Kurt Russell like lies to her about her dad being dead and then sleeps with her, mm. and then there's no like negative consequences to that. Like, right? I don't know. Having like your protagonist do that is problematic. Right. It's not. It's not rape to you know, to mislead her about her father's whereabouts and then sleep with her. But it's not okay either. See, I don't know. See, that's one of those things. I feel like it's funny because it's wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the the tit grab thing. I don't. It's like just, I said, there's yeah. something. There's something so fucking aggressive about it in that scene that that I don't even think that was okay in the eighties. In the eighties was the the decade of all things are permissible. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Apparently, somebody thought it was funny yeah. and put it in the movie. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're gonna watch this and you're sensitive about that stuff, tr- trigger warning for that because that's. <laughs> Like I said, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's something extra fucking awful about it. Yeah, I just remember that guy from Three Amigos. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say I have a plethora of pinatas? <laughs> it's a sweater. <laughs> okay, can't do that. No, no segue to Three Amigos because we'll talk about Three Amigos for an hour and a half. 
My wife told me once she doesn't like Three Amigos. What the fuck? The relationship almost ended right there. Now here's where Doug chimes in. Well... I recently picked up Three Amigos on DVD and haven't rewatched it, so we'll have to uh, get it onto the list. Team it up with uh, My Name is Bruce or something. Yeah. I get... I totally, totally get why it's the type of comedy that some people aren't into. But the scene where he accidentally shoots the invisible swordsman is piss your pants funny. I don't give a fuck. I've seen that movie at least a dozen times. And every time that's like snot coming out of your nose laughing so hard funny. See, and I wish I could go back to a time where I didn't know that Chevy Chase was an awful person. Because he's so goddamn funny and shit like that. He's funny enough that I don't care that he's an awful person. <laughs> like, I'm not going to not enjoy vacation. Sorry. That's sure. just not, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Um, so, would it, be, would it be wrong to say that we, uh, all three of us, enjoyed this movie? Although Doug found some parts of it. Uh, meh. Yeah, no, overall, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Especially, like I said, the, the middle whole thing where they're going back and forth fighting over the customers with the other dealership and the commercials yeah. and the stripper, all that stuff was very, very funny. Like I said, it's, any complaints I have are about, you know, it's, it's my reaction to this whole subgenre of filmmaking. It's not about this movie specifically. That's fair. Really good movie. Really showcases Kurt Russell coming into his own. Like mm-hmm. it never occurred to me that Kurt Russell, his persona is essentially a sleazy used car salesman. But this is the ideal. <laughs> it, does, <laughs> it does cement it, right? I, I find the weirdest. I find the weirdest thing about it is every other movie. Whenever you're seeing Kurt Russell doing his Kurt Russell thing, you're like, "That's Kurt Russell acting." And then you watch him in this movie, and you're like, "That might just be Kurt Russell." Kind <laughs> of seems like it. It is it, the the whole like, "Hey man, I just sold you the car. It's not my fault that the car doesn't run three minutes later." It fits right into his libertarian views, right? So it's just like, "Hey, stop it. We don't acknowledge yeah. that." Mm. What about the yeah. part where he was on top of the car dancing with the stripper, though? Is that oh, why yes. Kurt Russell doesn't dance in all the other movies? Oh, I think so. That's what it looks like when he dances. Doing his best Saturday Night Fever. There's, there's also the obligatory Elvis reference. Naturally. <laughs> Man, Kurt Russell fucking loves him some Elvis, doesn't he? Can't stop referencing him in his films. I know that much. Uh, all right. Anything else before we move on to now? Highest, highest of recommends. Like I said, don't accept the fact that this is a, a sleazy '80s comedy. Yeah, going into it, and you're fine. Yeah. Well, no. Last week, I believe you said the next movie is one of your favorite movies of all time. Uh, so, why don't you uh, tell us about Big Trouble in Little China? Big Trouble in Little China. Ugh. So, there's a plot to this movie that's almost completely irrelevant. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, can we all agree to that? I think that's part of the point of the movie is that the plot's irrelevant. 
Well, there's a lot of stuff happening, but ultimately, Jack Burton's plot is he wants his truck back, and that's about it. Right, right. So we've got this this truck driver who is the uh, overconfident uh, but lovable oaf slash pseudo badass character. He's he's very much a Ash from Evil Dead kind of situation. Like, you know he's going to fuck it up, but come out on top anyway. Yeah. Uh, he gets tied up in a bunch of mystical bullshit in Chinatown. Uh, all of it is... Oh, man. Oh, oh, so problematic and racist. But <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's pretty racist. Ah, oh, fuck. Yeah, it's... Man... You're, you know what the uh, fucking problem with this movie is and this obsessed me racism. is that well yeah so I'm gonna full on it's racist I see it I understand it's racist and I have a hard time caring that it's racist because this movie is so fucking awesome <laughs> which is a bad place to be I don't want to be in that place but that's where I am with this particular movie I just I'll forgive any of the bad shit well, I actually have a comment on that. So, yeah, but ba- basically, uh, our lovable truck driver gets caught in a underground magical gang war. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, that feels like an accurate description. Yeah. Also, there is a cursed uh, bodiless sorcerer. Who is attempting to marry a green-eyed woman so that he can murder her and become flesh by pleasing some kind of demon thing? Uh, sure. Also, we have Raiden split into three people for some reason. <laughs> There's just so much going on. I don't know. I don't. There and the plot is pointless. Like. So this this falls into the uh, the run of John Carpenter's films where he was fucking unstoppable. Well, for for future generations, yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. They didn't understand it at the time. No. Ugh. Dis- so disappointing too. That he's just a fucking mad genius. <laughs> But I, I don't know. This is some kind of it's some kind of weird take on genre movies that I don't I don't even understand because somehow he's referencing a genre that d- I don't think exists. <laughs> well, I think he's mashing up his references. It's like kung fu movies, but you throw in the Kurt Russell character, who is on the one hand he's like sending up eighties action heroes, but on the other hand he's clearly like mocking the idea of like the great white hope that kind of shows up in a lot of movies and it's just like the white guy saves everything and mm-hmm. I think it's pretty obvious that they want to make fun of that by having him come in all cocky and arrogant and then basically bumble everything he does right and right and it works on so many fucking levels too it's mm-hmm. well and uh, so much of it is attributable to that performance because only Kurt Russell could be mocking action heroes while playing an action hero like he's well yeah, and he's using he's using the big, biggest action hero of all time. He's definitely channeling John Wayne throughout the entire thing if you listen to him. Right. But he's just it's like completely the 
the I watched like this interview with Robert Rodriguez and John Carpenter they did. It was like an hour long and it was fantastic. And they just went over his movies and John Carpenter explained this movie perfectly where I'm like, I never thought of it that way, but he essentially lays it out. He's like, this is a movie where the main character is a sidekick, but doesn't know that he's a sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Because <laughs> I was getting ready to make that reference because there's a very much uh, a through line of Green Hornet and uh, Kato, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where where you had accidentally they hired the most badass motherfucker ever to play the sidekick. In a TV show, which made the the main character look like a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to be less mean spirited, you could say it's sort of like an Inspector Gadget and Brain relationship that they have going. <laughs> that's, that's how I prefer sure. to think of it, just so you don't have to be so mean. But it's the same idea. It, yeah. it really is funny how he like like. I don't, even, I don't know any character's name in this movie. I only know Kurt Russell's name, and I don't care if he has a different name in the movie. Um, oh, but yeah, like it's, it's hilarious to watch him constantly run into rooms like he's going to save the day and constantly not be able to. My favorite moment being when he fires his gun up in the air and part of the ceiling comes down, <laughs> hits him in the head, takes him right out, and you're just like, what the fuck just happened? Like, yeah. I don't I even th- understand what I'm watching when I'm watching this movie. I was going to say the best I'll argue to the end of the earth that the best moment in the entire movie is whenever he actually pulls a kind of badass move where he's going to pull his knife out of his shoe, but a guy comes running at him. So instead he like uses his other foot to shove the knife through the shoe and stab the guy in the chest (laughs) as he comes. And you're like, Oh, that was badass. And then of course it zooms out. And now this guy in full body armor's got his full weight on top of Kurt Russell, who's like turtled and can't move. <laughs> the only thing I have to say about that is you keep saying shoe, but what you mean is ridiculous oversized boot. Yes, ridiculous oversized boot. Uh, what you mean is moccasin, moccasin boots. Moccasin boots? <laughs> I- Ludicrous! I don't. Those aren't real things. I don't think anybody actually ever wore those. Those were invented for the purposes of this movie. I, I was going to say, reviewing reviewing this movie is especially hard for two reasons. Number one, this is one of those movies where you want to just start going, and then this cool thing happened, and then this cool thing happened, and then this cool thing happened. There's that, and the character of Lopan is one of the most fantastically obnoxiously quotable characters of all time and it is nearly impossible to do it without doing his terrible racist it's so horribly racist don't right. try it right that's what i'm saying so you're trapped in this horrible uh nebulous area where all you want to do is say a low pan line and knowing that it's not okay to ever say a low band line. <laughs> it is weird how racist this movie is, and I, you're right, I don't care when I watch it. It doesn't bug me the way it does in other things. And part of it is just, I mean, like, you always say intent matters, and, like, it. obviously this is all just people having fun, and it's never intended to be 
like mean spirited towards any side, and part of it is because there's like like just normal like there there is the the bumbling idiot of the movie is the white guy, so that kind of in part I don't want to say that it justifies having like such racist over the top caricatures as bad guys. It, it eases the blow of racism. Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's just like putting boxing gloves on your racism before you punch a guy with it. It's <laughs> well, and the fact that it, so it's a movie about Asian characters starring all the best eighties Asians. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't even know sense. most. Of, like I say, I don't know most of their names, but I recognize all the faces. Yeah. Um. So I used to listen to this podcast. It's not on anymore. And it was called Whiting Wongs with Dan Harmon from Rick and Morty. From Rick and Morty and Jessica Gao, who was one of his writers of Rick and Morty. And basically, and he even said it, like, the whole point of this is to, I'm going to play the dumb white guy, and she's going to tell me why stuff is racist. And someone asked them, like, is uh, Big Trouble Little China racist? Um, and she came down on the side of that it's not horribly racist, as in you can watch it and enjoy it and not feel bad about yourself. And I think, I don't remember all of her exact reasons, but the biggest one was that uh, the white guy is played as the idiot in the, in the movie and is not at a sacrifice of everybody else in the movie. Like, they're not necessarily making fun of anybody. They're just kind of turning that Asian culture up to like eleven for a callback reference to something we were talking about earlier. So she gave it an okay. Oh, and she is qualified to tell you sure or not there should be offended by this movie. Just so we're clear. Sure, why not? All right. Well, I, I Dan Harmon, I love to death. Mm-hmm. But occasionally, his uh, his overly progressive wokeness borders on crossing a weird line back to racist. <laughs> okay, it happens all the time where he's like doing something, circle. yeah, and he's trying to like he's trying to take the racism to task. By demonstrating it, if that makes sense, and you want to be like, "Damn, <laughs> stop! I really like you. You need to stop saying all the things that you say." <laughs> um, if you want to see a sequel to this movie, because obviously one doesn't exist, uh, there is an episode of the. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon that aired from 2012 to 2017. I need to find the title of it. I want to say it was like Big Trouble in Little Tokyo or something. Um, but essentially, I mean, they even got James Hong to voice him. But essentially, like the ghost of Lopan is, is comes back and tries to like, you know get somebody to do some spell so he'll have a body again and he looks just like Lopan it's pretty fantastic is Kurt Russell in it? Kurt Russell's not in it 
I was going to say, if I remember, I, I never read it, but I was told by a bunch of people there is a Big Trouble in Little China follow-up uh, comic book that's supposed to be really good, but I, I um, never checked it out. There is. I read some of it, and it was pretty good. Like, it picks up, literally picks up, like, one second after the movie ends. Yeah, yeah, right after the monster pops up in the bed of the truck or whatever. <laughs> Is this it? A Chinatown ghost story? Yep. This is it. Uh, James Hong's character's name is Ho Chan, uh, but it's literally like done as a sequel to Big Trouble in Little China. It's pretty yeah, fantastic. That's, that's their name. Hong and Wong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, James, James Hong and Victor Wong. Those are always the two actors in this movie that I can't... I, if I can remember one's name, I can remember the other one's name. Well, and... I, Aliyong is in this movie too. It's that uh, mustachioed bad guy that was in every 80s action was, movie. He has a name. I didn't yeah. know that he was allowed to have a name. He was do- allowed to play a character that had a name. Uh, there's a uh, there's a documentary called uh, I think called Aliyong. Um, maybe or no, it's called Henchman. That's what it is. And that it's all about him. Sense to me. Oh, he he's good at what he does. What he does is be the henchman in an eighties action movie. Exactly. Yeah, they had him and the other classic Asian henchman. Uh, What's Gerald uh, Okamura? Is that his name? Mm. Uh, the bald one. Yeah, yeah, the bald one with the the outrageously sharp eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. See now I know who you're talking about. When you used his name, I no fucking clue who you're talking about. <laughs> Nobody does. But you say bald Asian henchman with outrageously sharp eyebrows, and everyone knows who he is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, the way they were able to reuse background characters in these movies was fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I knew him from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Well, that's pretty much about it. Since since we're on the since we're bordering on the topic of racist stuff, do you guys think maybe that contributed to some problematic things? The fact that they had a default menacing racial person <laughs> for for everything too. I mean, imagine imagine all the movies that the. Uh, Oh, I'm trying to remember what his name is, too. The shaved head, uh, nearly fully torso tattooed Hispanic guy that they always use for the uh, Mexican thug. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know you're talking about. Right. Yeah. But over and over and over again, I feel like maybe that, like, it seems like it's shorthand, but that shorthand instead is maybe reinforcing a very specific stereotype. I can see where you're coming from, but because it was the 80s and it's like, like what's his name we were just talking about with the mustache? Like, the guy was in, like, he was in Die Hard where his race was irrelevant. He was in that, uh, didn't he fight John Claude Van Damme in a prison once? Like, he wasn't just used as the Asian thug, he was just the thug. And yeah, and like in, in this particular movie, 
his Asianness is relevant, but it oftentimes well, it just wasn't. Well, that's uh, I'm, that's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm I'm saying his the fact that he was always the evil henchman in everything caused him to be default evil Asian. Does it? Does that make sense? Like I, I don't. What I'm trying to say is difficult to say. Yeah, I understand. I understand what you're saying. Like his his repetition as that character in various scenarios is is the the chili recipe for building his stereotypes. <laughs> Since they see him in everything, everybody starts thinking, "Well, all Asian people must be evil." Right. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And, and more specifically, all Asian people that look like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like if you take the, like if you take the Asianness out of him, and it was just a white dude that was that tall, and kind of muscular, and had that weird skullet and that facial hair. <laughs> I feel like at some point, yeah, like you look evil no matter what your race is at that point. <laughs> So you're right, he fits the stereotype perfectly of a thug, but that's because he's chosen to curate that look, not just, I don't think it's based on his ethnicity. Yeah. I forgot, he also played, uh, he also played uh, Genghis Khan and Bill and Ted. Oh, yeah. Well, there we go. And there's the one movie that he wasn't an evil thug. Instead, he was badass uh, skateboarding Genghis Khan. <laughs> Where they glossed over, glossed over Genghis Khan's horrible life. Yeah. You could argue that Genghis Khan was a bit of an evil thug if you wanted to. If you wanted to formulate that argument, you'd probably find a way. <laughs> oh, I forgot. He was in Lethal Weapon, too. He was in yeah, Lethal Weapon, also. Not Lethal Weapon, too, but. Yeah. yeah, I would. My my argument with that stuff always falls to this: you can't if if you want to call Genghis Khan an an evil despot conqueror, you should say the same thing about like Alexander the Great and all of those people because they sure. did the exact same thing. Yeah. But they're and well, once again, well, it, especially it, it, in American history, there does seem to be a different depiction of those two things. Like, he, we talk about Genghis Khan and it's the Mongolian horde, but we talk about Alexander the Great and it's the spread of Hellenism. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes, the history that we are taught is a racist history that inherently betrays uh, Europeans as the heroes in everything, even though... Oftentimes they are not necessarily. Uh, I guess what we got caught up on racism. Jesus Christ! Let's uh, let's talk about more awesome things from this movie that we love. Oh right. Oh. <laughs> I do. So, what is you guys? Is this has always been one of the most confusing things ever? What is your interpretation of the knife catch throwback scenario? <laughs> My interpretation is it's all in the reflexes. That's that's all you need to know. Yeah. It's such a that is such a weird fucking moment in this movie because there's no setup for it. No, I think when you start trying to interpret scenes in this movie, you're watching it wrong. Well, 
That's it was kind of a cool thing that happened. That's it. Like, well, we proved he has good reflexes in the beginning of the movie when he catches the bottle. Yeah, I sp- yeah, I suppose so. He does catch the bottle. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just feels like such a weird, unearned moment in the film. That's like correct. everything else, they go out of their way to like set stuff up, and it's funny and all this kind of. But then all of a sudden, it's like. He does a crazy kung fu catch a knife throwback kill the bad guy. <laughs> Especially when literally ten seconds earlier he threw the knife and just missed like a motherfucker. <laughs> it's all part of the plan, baby. Um, I don't know. This movie's fucking awesome. I love this movie so much. So great. There's a weird D and D reference with the eyeball monster. I love that little floating head monster thing that they use as like what is it, so you can see what's going on elsewhere or whatever mm. and it's a little crank looking thing is just so fucking cool <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what else to say about it other than it's just so fucking cool uh, this whole fucking movie so good I always tell people for me this is like a perfect movie like, there's not one thing that I would take out of this movie and be like, well, it'd be better if this wasn't in it, or it'd be better if they did this instead. For me, I'm always like, no, it's perfect. Start to finish, perfect. Don't need to replace anything. Don't need to change anything. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's it's one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> <laughs> well, it- I'll push back a little bit. And genre, I'll say it's, it's super uh, fun movie. I was going to say, let me let me qualify that genre movie. Just, I mean, the word genre means so much, but right. like you know, I look, it's a super yeah. fun movie. I enjoyed watching it. I've enjoyed watching it every time I've watched it. Um, when you say it's one of the best movies ever, it's like, even the list of Kurt Russell, John Carpenter collaborations. It's really not. My favorite of them. It's, yeah, I would it's say fun. it's. I would say it's the most fun out of all of them. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly designed to be fun. Personal, purely from personal preference, the only Kurt Russell John Carpenter movie I can think of that would be if if you said this one or this one, The Thing maybe. If I was in the mood <laughs> for a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, like for me, Escape from New York is probably a better movie than this. Oh, see, it's it's great. I think I'd just rather watch Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's the is the Kurt Russell, John Wayne mashup. Like I said, well, it's just it, his one liners, his cocky attitude, like everything about it is fantastic. That there's no denying how great that character is. Like, mm. like the character that Kurt Russell creates in this movie is utterly fantastic, and no one's arguing that point. No. Um, so one of the reasons we team these two movies up is when he uh, goes undercover at the bordello. Would that be Cross an appropriate place. word? Massage parlor bordello. Yeah. What are we going to call it again? <laughs> 
Uh, he totally wears one of his costumes from used cars in it. Um, it may not be like the same outfit from one of them, but I mean, like I saw that shirt and tie at some point during that movie. Yeah, it, it certainly looks like he would be dressed as that character. Yeah. Those weird, like, plaid jackets that, like, plaid suit coats that people wore in 1980 uh, for some reason. Yeah. It was, uh, it was great. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I love everything about this movie. I love them just walking into that building saying they're there from the phone company. And the only thing that proves it is they're carrying a phone with them for some reason. That's how you prove it. I guess. Those security guards. Security guards are just like, yeah, I mean, they got a phone. They would just bring a phone with them if they weren't from the phone company. Let me guess, an elevator that only goes down. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you're right. (sighs) Anybody else got some favorite parts they want to spout off? All the parts. (laughs) That's, once again, that's the problem with talking about this movie. I don't know what what I'm, am I going to list off every second because every second's fucking awesome, <laughs> crazy, crazy, ridiculous, crouching tiger, hidden dragon, sword fight. While <laughs> while Jack Burton is stuck underneath that guy, <laughs> the fight going on all around him while he's just stuck there is great. The fact that it happens he, twice in the fight too. He shoots he shoots the gun, knocks himself out, everybody starts fighting, he finally gets up, immediately runs into that guy, kills that guy, but gets stuck under him. <laughs> well the thing is too that fight scene, like as I was watching it today, I'm like, Okay, it's funny, it's funny, it's funny. It's gone on way too long. This is getting kind of drawn out. But hey, look, it's funny again. Like they managed to go full circle. It's sort of like a, and I think it's a. That's a joke that's before its time. It's something that like Family Guy and stuff does pretty well in today's world, where it's just like you, you do something funny and then you kind of bore people with it, but you just refuse to stop until they start laughing again. And like I say before it's time doing it back in the 80s that, I don't think that type of humor existed yet uh, Victor Victor Wong's uh, assholy sorcerer character that he played in several movies um, technically not, played him in, in Tremors but he wasn't even a sorcerer in that one right. he was just an asshole store owner right. I was going to say but not enough there are infinite more of those He's the fucking I don't there's something about his smarminess and his uh squinty-eyed sarcastic look that he can do to people. <laughs> it's just amazing. The scene where they're going through the tunnel and the giant bug pops out and he like throws that thing and there's just a little fire and he's like it will not come back and <laughs> Jack Burton's like what well, won't come back? Yeah, he uh, just (laughs) Kurt Russell's exasperation in this movie sometimes is fucking hilarious. Seeing a bunch of seeing a bunch of shit, and he's just like, "What the fuck was that?" It's again, is they're 
perfect at sending up like 80s action movies where in like a lot of these types of movies these guys would just fall in line and just fight the monsters and not say anything about it and they're like no let's give them that ridiculous over the top but in some ways very honest reaction to what he's seeing like, <laughs> you're supposed to be surprised when giant bug monsters pop out of the wall <laughs> I'm just gonna Another one of the things, and this is one of those John Carpenter master strokes that I'm sure that when the movie came out, people didn't get it. But this scene where they are all in the restaurant and there's the huge info dump. Mm-hmm. But it's done in this, I don't know, over over the top, almost winking at the audience way that they do it. Somebody's like, ah, the... The Triad Fishing Company? Oh, yes, the Triad Fishing Company. Blah, 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 blah. It's a blah, 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 blah. And they do this, and they do that, and their enemies are these guys. Oh, shit. That must be Lopan. Ah, oh, yes, Lopan. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And they do it like four or five times right in a row, where they just explain absolutely everything you need to know about all the things you need to know for the rest of the movie. <laughs> Where they're like, we're not going to waste time putting this into the plot. <laughs> we just need to get to the next awesome thing. Uh, does anybody else notice that Egg Shen's uh, workshop slash home, whatever the fuck it was, is the uh, the firehouse from Ghostbusters? No, but that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. When he walked in, I'm like, holy shit, yeah, there it is. That's the firehouse from Ghostbusters. That's the set they used. <sighs> Anything else before we move on? No, I do want to say all of the things again. All the things. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Alright, what everybody watched since last week? I'll tell you what I watched. Mm-hmm. Jack shit. Oh. Uh, I, I, in fact, only watched one thing, and we're talking about that next week. Oh. Why'd you watch it early? Uh, do you, do you want me to make up an excuse, or do you want me to tell you the truth, which was, I got confused about which week it was, and I watched the wrong movie. <laughs> and then realized I had watched the wrong movie and started watching the right movies. Well, it's going to be interesting, because I don't even know which ones we're supposed to do next week. Yeah, I'm curious how you know in advance, because we don't usually... Because we are obviously saving iPatch week for the last week. Alright. There we go. Now that you've told us the truth, I'd also like you to make up an excuse just to see if it's funnier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because Pluto TV is way too difficult to use, so I've watched the wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is a viable excuse. Speaking of which, a review of the app for uh, Pluto TV. Fuck those motherfuckers. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. 
I tried using it once, and I was like, never again. Never again. So there's no search function. You can't find a movie by title. You have to look it up by category. Then once you find figure out what category your movie in, in which you don't know which category they necessarily put it in, saying how lots of movies fall under more than one thing, mm. they're not in alphabetical order inside the category. So you have to go movie by movie to find the movie you're looking for. Jesus Christ. And then so uh, used cars... Because of all the commercials they play, too, it also made it two and a half hours fucking long. Jesus. I watched half of it, and then while I was at work, I was like, okay, on my lunch break, I'm going to watch the other half. Well, it restarted it from the beginning, and I tried to fast forward to the middle. And Mm -hmm. guess what? Not only does it force you to watch a commercial to fast forward it, it forces you to watch every single commercial break through that half. <laughs> so you you tell it to go 50 minutes in. Instead, it goes 10 minutes in and plays four commercials. And then you tell it to go 50 minutes in and it goes 20 minutes in and it plays four more commercials, typically the same commercials. I did not finish it on my lunch break because 45 minutes of my lunch break were watching the commercials to get the movie caught up to where it needed to be to proceed. So, so Pluto TV can suck my dick. Is this a, uh, is this a good time to tell you that used cars is on the show? Uh, YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, I still, I still haven't connected to that. Oh, could have watched it there. Ad free. I will. I will eventually. The problem is, I got to. I almost exclusively watch movies in the living room, mm-hmm. and I don't really want to connect that to the show YouTube instead of my YouTube. No, you should be able to do more than one. Maybe I, I don't know. Like, I have like five YouTube accounts on each of my TVs for different purposes. I have the show one, and then I have my personal one, and then I have one that's just for listening to music through, and then I have one that's just for my kid's shit, so he doesn't interfere with stuff. Because <laughs> you don't want um, fucking Paw Patrol showing up in your your that's recommendations correct. on yours? That, that's correct. <laughs> my, my YouTube has schizophrenia at this point. It's like, we noticed that you like 1970s exploitation movies, and musicals. <laughs> no. <laughs> I need to stop watching fucking Gypsy on my YouTube account. <laughs> um, okay. So, so, so you didn't watch anything? So Pluto is TV that your point? Uh, Pluto TV is bad. The yeah, uh, it. end of shows. <laughs> what did you watch, Doug? I got a bunch of stuff. Actually, if you guys want to talk about movies again, we can. Sure. Um, going in order here, I checked out the uh, Soska Sisters uh, remake of Rabbit, finally. Yeah. It's from 2019. Um, so, plot is somewhat based on the original. Basically, Chick gets uh, into an accident, goes in for some specialized uh, treatment. Turns out she's infected with something. Um, the first part of the movie plays out. Have you guys seen it? Not the remake, no. no. Yeah, like the first part of the movie plays out almost like some kind of like a vampire movie where she's like 
or even a, maybe a werewolf movie is a better example where she's like out and attacking people and then waking up at home and not realizing that she was intentionally attacking people like actually attacking people thinking it was bad dreams and stuff now that's kind of an interesting take on it which I, I did enjoy and the last half hour of the movie is when this infection is just running rampant through society and there's just blood guts and gore everywhere and if there's one thing the Soska sisters can do well it's blood and guts and gore so I was really happy with that does she My, have an armpit penis <laughs> there, there's a reference to it <laughs> put it that way um, yeah, my, my only concern would be that they took a little too long to get to that big outbreak of blood and gore, and that's just maybe my own personal bias, because that's what I was basically hoping to see the whole time, but uh, it, was, it was pretty well made, and uh, like the lead actress is that she was Supergirl back on like Smallville, I forget her name now, yeah. she's pretty, um, so it's, yeah, I, I, I was pretty happy with it which is when you're remaking Cronenberg I'm like real hesitant I was debating whether to ever even watch it um, so it was pretty good like I say the, the, the gore and the, the effects were all really well done which is kind of key uh, maybe a little too slow for my taste but was, I was a humongous fan of their first two movies mm-hmm. and then like after that, their some of their output, I was like, okay, well, that's a little disappointing. <laughs> like, and then there's been some issues where now it's just like I don't know if I particularly care for them as people either. Yeah, I don't, uh, again, I I don't get caught up in that because yeah. it's just there's terrible people in it involved in every movie you could possibly watch. So. Well, it's just it's just weird that they like coming out of the independent scene and stuff. Everybody loved them so much because they they really loved their fans and treated everybody well. Mm-hmm. It seems like right, and then it feels like they hit this weird point where all of a sudden somebody would say something mildly critical about them, and and they would go berserk on them, like. You know, yeah. like you're a piece of shit for not agreeing with every fucking single thing they do, mm-hmm. which is that's weird. Like, it's OK to be like, yeah, you did. You did an interview with this guy and he's a douchebag. And the and the answer to that is you just ignore that person or you just like walk away. You don't like freak out and sick your fans on somebody because they didn't like a guy you did an interview with. Yeah, I was really bummed out because I had uh, formed kind of a nice relationship with them because uh, we, we ran their first movie in one of our film festivals and then they were always super supportive when we were promoting their stuff. So, like, they'd promote some of our stuff and I would meet up with them at conventions and stuff and they were, you know, super nice and then all of a sudden... It just seemed like they just completely turned a corner and went crazy. So it's kind of a bummer. But yeah, I don't know. I was never a huge fan of Cronenberg's Rabbit, so I wasn't uh, super excited about this. Well, if you're in the mood for like lots of blood and guts and gore, mm. it has that. 
Yeah. So. I'm never not in the mood for that. <laughs> yeah. The only thing is, like I say, it's heavily weighted towards the end of the movie, and it takes a while to get there. And I don't. It, it's a little too slow for my taste. So multiple of that by you, it might be way too slow for you, no. <laughs> What else be, like helpful. Uh, <laughs> speaking of slow, the next one I watched is a thriller called uh, "Don't Tell a Soul," which is uh, Rain Wilson stuck in a well for most of the movie. <laughs> and, okay. So the concept is that these kids are stealing; these like teenagers, and as they're running away, they're being chased by the security guard, who's Rain Wilson, and he falls in an unmarked well. So now these kids know he's down there, but they also know that if they help him get out, that they'll be caught. And things get real dark real quick with one of the the sort of... If there's like a, a good kid and a bad kid, the bad one is just like, fuck it, just let him die down there so we don't get caught. Wouldn't that make more sense? And uh, they kind of spent a lot of the movie going, going back and forth on that. Um, there are also a bunch of plot twists in the second half of the movie that you, I don't think, will see coming, and I don't want to spoil here, but they really work for me. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed the movie. It's like it's dark, it's unpredictable in some ways. There's parts where you're, it's pretty predictable, but I don't think you'll necessarily figure out where it goes. The performances are all solid. One get I think is from the It movies, but I'm not sure if that's true or not. And the the kid's mom is like Mina Suvari, who's old enough to play teenagers' moms now, which is uh, upsetting. God damn it! She's pretty good in the movie. Like she's supposed to be sick, and she's kind of like constantly laying on the couch and suffering, and she's pretty good at mm-hmm. that. So, um, and, and she ends up more involved in the plot towards the end, where the not spoiled plot twists. Uh, come into effect but uh, yeah it's a recommend for me it's new I think it's I don't know if it's, it might even be this year or it was 2020 mm. uh, I'd never heard of it and just literally like flipping through various streaming services and it's like is that Rain Wilson stuck in a well I want to see that <laughs> and I'm like that, that could either be good because he's a good actor or it could be funny because he's good at doing that too so um, but it's yeah it I think you guys, you guys should watch it, and then we can have a conversation about it after when I when I'm not spoiling for you because I think it's I'd like to know how well the plot twists work for other people. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. definitely, definitely recommend. Again, I know the Simpsons are did the kid stuck in the well thing, but still, <laughs> this, this is a different take on it. The Simpsons have done everything at this point. I don't know. I'm just I'm looking at the rest of the movies on my list. I'm like, the Simpsons have done a lot of these other ones too. I think, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, next one I watched. This is where you'll start to notice, Brian. You'll start to recognize these titles because these are movies yeah. that you made available to me. <laughs> yeah, I already noticed. I uh, I signed into the YouTube and I'm like, oh, look at all these movies that have been watched. <laughs> Doug's having like, a good old time. Because there's a, there's several in there that I've been wanting to see that I just for one like the, the first one we talk about is Little Shop of Horrors from 1986 and 
I remember liking that movie in the 80s and several times in the past you know decade or so I've gone looking for it and it just doesn't seem to be available anywhere and no. I don't know why and it's like I can't so, even rent it because I'm a dentist <laughs> Uh, for those at home, uh, I have a pretty big like digital movie library, like a legit one, through like Voodoo and stuff. <laughs> I like how you do insert that. Um, and you know, when movies anywhere came out, it turns out you can connect basically just about any movie platform to movies anywhere, and it'll share all of all of your movies that are uh, uh, accepted by movies anywhere to any of the other ones, like you know, iTunes or. Fandango or YouTube, as it turns out. And I mainly just use Voodoo to watch all my stuff because there's even stuff on there that doesn't transfer to movies anywhere. And for some reason, after, after like, what, two years of movies anywhere being out, I just thought about, oh, shit, I bet I can connect that to the show account and then Noah and possibly Doug can watch movies from my library. And then I connected it. But we weren't sure about Doug since he's in Canada. And he looked and he's like, oh, shit, I can watch all of these. So so Doug just got a whole new streaming platform. Yeah. Yeah. And so the rest of the movies I'm going to talk about today are movies I watched through there. Plus, I watched used cars through there. <laughs> but I watched uh, I watched Big Trouble in Little China through Disney Plus because I thought it was funny that it was on Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird. Uh, anyways little shop of horrors it, yeah. it is exactly how I remember it from the 80s which is yeah. weird it's like I I found myself almost able to sing along with the songs and shit but it's a it's a weird gross musical comedy starring like tons of famous 80s actors <laughs> about a guy that feeds people to his living plant and well. I, I, I don't know. What, do you, what the hell do you say about that movie? It's, it's obviously uh, a remake of the uh, original f- from the, I want to say, 1960-ish. Yeah. Uh, which, is it just the theatrical version? Is that the one you watched? Do you even have the other one on there? I don't know. What version did you make available to me? <laughs> Because they did finally put out the director's cut, which has a different ending. Because uh, they originally had a very different ending. And the studio, after they tested it, was like, it's too bleak. we got to have a different ending that's happier. Okay, this uh, is clearly what I watched is the happier ending. Yeah, yeah. and they, it was unavailable, like, forever. Like, you could not find it anywhere. And then someone had this bright idea of, like, oh, shit, we do have that. Maybe we should put out a director's cut that has the alternate ending. And then, of course, they put it out and it sold pretty well. But uh, so the alternate ending is the plant. The plant wins. Plants take over the world. You see giant plants going down like the streets of New York, knocking buildings over and stuff. They actually filmed that? Yeah. That's amazing. I want to see that now. See if it's on YouTube while you finish up. Yeah. So it's a uh, yeah. I, I don't know what else I'm supposed to say about Little Shop of Horrors. If you want to see fucking Rick Moranis feeding people to a plant, it's probably the only movie that does that. <laughs> and, Hopefully, and Steve Martin as a dentist character is just fucking fantastic. Just doing his fucking Elvis impression the whole time. 
in that motorcycle that seems to drive like magic for some reason. <laughs> I don't understand why it's so enjoyable, but it is. Yeah. It was a fun movie. I haven't watched it in a long time. It's my, it's my second favorite uh, appearance of him in a random musical. First being? Uh, in the Bee Gees version of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, he does Maxwell Silverhammer. It's awesome. <laughs> don't don't put that on the list. Too late. <laughs> um, shit. Why did I ask follow up questions? Um, <laughs> it's got Frank Zappa in it. I, it. Solid point. Solid point. Um, the next thing I watched, which is a little outside of what you normally would probably expect for me to be watching, but uh. Same thing that I haven't seen it since the 80s, and I've always been curious if it holds up, is The Legend of Billie Jean. Mm, yeah. Which is, for people who haven't seen it, it's basically about uh, this brother and sister couple played by the uh, Helen and Christian Slater. And they, uh, it, it starts out with them being bullied, basically, and when they try to push back, they find themselves in trouble. So now they're on the run from the cops and they sort of become teen rebel heroes. It reminded me in a lot of ways of Pump Up the Volume, actually, which we did on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, with the kind of the cheesy, like everybody's gathering behind these teen characters and stuff. But I was really pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed watching this movie. Um, it's just, Yeah, it's, it's very 80s in that everything's a little over the top and stuff. But it has a really solid message to it about how, like, these poor kids are, you know, basically being harassed and robbed from and almost raped by these, like, rich kids. And the minute they push back a little bit, it's always the poor kids that get in trouble because the rich daddies protect their sons, right? Which um, is, you know, a solid, true message that's true then, it's true now, it's true fucking throughout history and you know you filter that through the 80s and you get you know Yardley Smith tagging along with them as the annoying little sister character and uh, you know you have for some reason a, a guy that volunteers to be their hostage that way you can write in a sort of love interest storyline um, I really like Christian Slater's performance he's like plays the younger of the two siblings and he clearly doesn't understand the gravity of the situation they find themselves in and I thought it worked really well yeah I I just very happily surprised by how much I enjoyed watching the movie because I kind of figured I would find it very cheesy and uh, I did so uh, I've never actually watched it yet <clears throat> I bought like a multi <laughs> I bought a multi-pack and it had that on it and had a digital code so I just put it on there but yeah we'll have to uh, maybe we'll do it for the return of Slater September uh, yeah I, I have no faith in your ability to reorganize Slater September after you dropped the ball last year so <laughs> that's so funny we completely forgot <laughs> <sighs> what else do you watch anyways um uh, after that, I finally caught up with the hunt. Oh yeah, it's the liberal elites hunting poor innocent conservative people through the woods, 
movie that I forget why it was like was it there must have been some big shooting in your country and that's why this film just kept getting delayed and eventually never really got a proper release yeah it did get a slight release because I remember half watching it through the window at the uh, the last attempt at the film festival that happened yep. to be right as they were shutting everything back down <laughs> yep Yep, the weekend, the weekend coronavirus shutdown started here in Illinois. This is the weekend that I did that I did my film festival. And I was sat in the lobby directly across from the, the theater that was playing The Hunt and was watching that instead of you know going in and watching horror movies. So is that the only time you've seen it, or have you actually sat and watched the movie yet? No, no, I haven't sat down and watched it yet. I don't. It to me. The, the little bits of it that I got, I feel like it's actually too snarky for me, and that's saying something. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, what are you, Brian? So, have you seen it? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, I remember yeah, enjoying I, it. I don't remember a whole lot of details or anything, but I remember weir- weirdly that Hillary Swank showing up at the end, which I, spoiler yeah. alert, I guess was supposed to be like a big reveal for some reason and I don't know why. Well, her name's in the opening credits. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was just weird. It's like, da da da, and I'm like, yeah, it's Hillary Swank. What, what, like, why is that a big deal? I, I felt very much the same way when she showed up. Yeah. Um, I didn't like it. They, they play it up like as if, like, haven't you been waiting for the showdown between these two characters? And it's like, no, not really. This is like a big, dumb movie about guys, like, there's literally characters getting, holding onto hand grenades and getting blown up and all sorts of people getting shot and all that. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. people get running around with bows and arrows sticking out of them, and you're like, okay, I, I'm not anticipating a big, this big battle. Like, this isn't a drama film. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Same. Um, yeah, I, I thought the movie was okay. I, I liked a lot of the violence. Because, um, you know, I like violence. There's <laughs> people getting hurt, and that's always positive. Um, it's the political stuff in it, and this is maybe my own personal bias, I don't really... I find it difficult to laugh at political stuff now. <laughs> because the world is beyond satire and I kept thinking in this like first of all I'm not 100% sure I understand what their political messaging is like the plot line ends up being if I understood it correctly you know ridiculous over the top right wing people made up a conspiracy theory about the liberal elites hunting people so then Mm -hmm. some liberal elites are like fuck it let's just start hunting people then and then they hunt the people who expose them for hunting the people that they're only hunting because of the conspiracy theory that was made up by their right-wingers. I think that's what this movie's about, kind of. <laughs> and You paid way more attention than I did. It kept making me think... I, that infuriatingly sounds so real. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I kept thinking. I kept thinking they're going to accidentally create a real conspiracy theory about this because the same idiots who didn't understand that Stephen Colbert was making fun of the right wing are going to see this and be like, maybe they're trying to send us a sign. Um, but yeah, I just, it feels like it was like a one note joke about how you think it's the, you know, the 
right next to and hunting, but it's really the liberal elite goody goodies that are hunting the right wingers. And it's like, okay, that you got your joke in, but they kind of keep bringing it up again. And I'm like, don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I just want to see people get blown up with hand grenades. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, and the other issue I had with it is like, when people do get blown up with hand grenades, some of the kills are really good, but some of them they held back. And it's just like, this is the kind of movie where you got to go hard R. Like, just, there's a, a scene where somebody's head gets driven over by a car and we don't get to watch the head explode. And I'm like, well, that's, I want to watch that head explode, man. That's the kind of movie this is, right? You're like, look, it's, if Lloyd Kaufman could figure it out, you could figure it out. Yeah, like, it's, uh, I don't know. I I feel like they held back a little bit for the rating or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, rated R. I'm not in Canada, it doesn't so. Oh really? Yeah. Well, we have like something called 14A, which is between PG-13 and R. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you guys have something like that, do you? No. No. So yeah. So that's the rating it got here. Um. And I don't like again. That's even worse though. If it was rated R. It, us then why not just go balls to the wall with that violence because it could have been a little bit more fun yeah don't know and it's really the only thing that sticks out in my head is that car crushing scene i'm like we didn't get to watch his head explode though (laughs) stomping my feet pouting like a child like oh man really wanted to watch his head explode (laughs) but overall pretty good i thought so Mm. Um, yeah did I watch anything else? You said you checked. Must be something. Oh, yeah. uh, the other thing I watched. Did you, did you watch thing. the Omega Man? It looks like if somebody watched the Omega Man. I, I did watch the Omega Man, yeah. That's the last thing I watched. Um, so this is one that I've been debating whether or not to watch for like 20-some years. Because I keep thinking, I love the original story. And I mm-hmm. like the Vincent Price movie, and I like half of the Will Smith movie. <laughs> that, that Charlton Heston thing, man. I don't know if I can get my head around Charlton Heston. I'm not a fan, bluntly put. Uh, so I finally dove in and watched it. I thought it was okay. It was, it's a fun movie to watch. But the thing that sticks out to me the most about watching The Omega Man is what a missed opportunity it is. Because it's the 70s. You can tell this dark story with this long meandering opening where not much is happening. Like everybody was doing that in the 70s. You could have him wandering around that city for a long time, just exploring and stuff. And you could getting to know that character. And you could have your super dark twist ending that just ends in the most horrible way possible. And that's fine. But they don't do that. Like, I guess, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the Omega Man from 1970-whatever, it's... They they essentially create a, a happy ending, or at least a semi-happy ending. They introduce the, like, the infected zombie vampire characters. They make us... They make them into more human characters very early on in the movie and then effectively turn them into the bad guys, which is contradictory to the original story in some ways. Mm -hmm. But also it's like, it 
takes away any concept of a twist that you would have gotten that makes that first story so great. Um, so it's just, yeah, it was kind of fun to watch Charlton Heston driving around, shooting at people, and then he meets up with these like hippie characters, and those interactions are just bizarre because what's the polite way to say they instead of having the characters get to know each other, they just behave in ridiculously stereotypical ways. So you've got all of a sudden, you've got Charlton Heston who only knows how to act like Charlton Heston up against this black woman just playing a cartoon character of what a black woman was in 1970s. She's, and she's almost out of a black exploitation movie. And that's pretty fun to watch. And naturally, like, they start hooking up, and you're like, I don't think those two would get along as well as this movie's making me think they'd get along. <laughs> but knowing, knowing Charlton Heston, they probably didn't get along as well as that movie's pretending yeah. they got along. Well, that is the one thing. Charlton Heston has a bunch of different giant guns in this movie, and I'm like, yeah, of course he does. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll just bring some from my personal collection. He's got like smaller versions of guns for when he goes out into town, and he just opens fires on the. They they refer to the the beast guys as like the family, and he just he opens fire on them the minute he sees them every time, and it's just like, what, what's going on here? Why are you just firing your gun off so much? You you must have a restricted amount of bullets. <laughs> but it's irrelevant, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of a fun actiony movie felt almost like what would have happened if they made that story in the 80s. Oh. I was just disappointed in the... like I'm really disappointed at the beginning when he's like driving around town alone. And I'm like, okay, that's when it occurred to me, the 70s. This is when you could make a movie where the first half hour he doesn't talk to anyone because there's nobody left to talk to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then we're like a few minutes into the movie when the first kind of uh, attack happens from the guys you're just like well that i don't know you're not establishing that sense of aloneness and stuff that makes the story so well yeah i still think uh the last man on earth is probably the best version so far i i don't even think there's really any room for debate yeah i think the the i am legend the will smith movie the um first half of that is quite good yeah. and then they completely missed the fucking point yes <laughs> there's literally a moment in that movie where like it's almost exactly halfway through the movie he decides he's gonna kill himself and he goes down to like this bridge area and tries and then he gets saved and it's like if you yeah. turn the movie off there it's a really solid movie but if you yeah. were to start the movie there you'd think it was a big piece of garbage and it's just yeah. It's no, I walked. How much that I walked. Out. I walked out of the theater going, man. I tell you what, I give Will Smith a bunch of credit because that first half when he's by himself mm-hmm. is uh, fantastic. As soon as, as soon as another human being shows up, it turns it turns into a horrible fucking movie. Yeah. When he starts like, what was it quoting Shrek when they're watching Shrek? Yeah. And I'm Even just like, oh. Too bad. I'm just like, come on, this movie, what the fuck? And then it just got worse, and then the ending happened, and I'm like, do they even know what book they're making a movie from? 
Yeah. I was going to say, even even though the Vincent Price version is so fucking good, I mean, it even it still kind of oh yeah misses still, the point yeah. at the end. Still fucks up the end, yeah. But at least Vincent Price is so good. I mean, I was and... trying to. I was going to say I was trying to explain to somebody why the ending is the way it is. Mm-hmm. In, in just having such a hard time because the, there's only one potential happy ending to that story whenever you read it. Yeah. And that is everyone would have to forgive the person who's absolutely hurt them in immeasurable ways. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way it ends happy in which because no one can do that, everyone is fucked. Yeah. Because they think they're building some new society, but they're starting that new society in the same violent, awful, bullshit way that we ended it. So it's just going to continue, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just, I don't understand why Hollywood can't just read a book and go, let's just make that, you know? How how long did it take them with comic book movies to finally go, maybe we should just take the stuff in the comic and put it up on the screen, since people like the comic. <laughs> it took them how many years of making this stuff before they finally did that? I mean, so. DC's still struggling with it. Oh, yeah, they're not, even, they're not even close yet. Well, they might be. Who knows? Because i got three different universes going on simultaneously. So. Well, I guess I, I take that back. With their TV stuff, they seem to have figured that out, but the yeah. movies they just refuse to learn lessons and yeah or Shazam 2 god damn it it's in the works way too long way too long between them it is not the first one came out in 2019 we've had this discussion before too long ago <laughs> i think it's coming out like next year like it's okay too long ago 3 years 3 years too many years <sighs> Uh, Maximum two years for a sequel. Max. That's insane. New rule. <laughs> you want this all superhero movies to be made on a Friday the thirteenth schedule? Yeah. <laughs> even even bigger new rule. Let's go let's go back to the day of whenever sequels were made before they even knew the ending of the previous movie. <laughs> Just crank out six months later a fucking sequel comes out somehow. Uh, let's not do that. That didn't seem like that worked very well after a while. Uh, anything else, Doug? Uh, nope, that'd be it. I only watched two things. Uh, one of them is going to be a big recommend for Noah. Uh, I watched the movie, uh, the movie Gentleman Broncos. Have you seen this, Noah? Gentleman Broncos. The name sounds familiar, but I can't put my finger on it. Uh, so it's made by Jared Hess, who did uh, Napoleon Dynamite. <clears throat> this is another weird, sort of quirky movie of his, uh, where this kid is a hard sci-fi writer. Like he's in high school, likes write, likes writing these sci-fi stories. And his hero is uh, this guy played by Jermaine Clement of uh, What We Do in the Shadows fame. Yeah. And uh, so he goes to like this writing camp 
and uh, they're having like a contest where you turn in like a manuscript. He turns one in uh, called the Yeast, yeast Lords. Is in yeast you make bread from? Um, and Jermaine Clement turns out he's in trouble because he has writer's block, can't come up with a new book, and his publisher's really pissed off. So he reads the one from the main character, and of course he steals it, but changes just enough of it, you know, changes like the main character's name and stuff. Uh, and then of course it goes on to be a number one bestseller, and this kid is like super pissed. And, uh, you know, just usual weird it's got the Napoleon dynamite kind of stuff with it right um, i was gonna say the cast looks delightful and it's yeah. only got a 19 percent on rotten tomatoes so i'm sure i'll love it <laughs> <laughs> so i mean the story is kind of fun it's just this kid trying to figure out his life like i said he's still in high school and uh his mother signs him up for like one of those big brother type programs and this, of course, this weirdo guy shows up to be like his big brother or whatever. And then he becomes friends at this writer's camp with these kids from his hometown, which I should mention. This entire group of kids that go to this camp, they're all homeschooled, him included. So they're already all kind of like weird, socially awkward kids. Um, so he becomes friends with these couple and they... Uh, one of them makes like movies or whatever and they try to get him to let them make a movie out of one of his books and all this is going on while uh, the book that was stolen is becoming number one and whatever else uh, the fantastic thing about this is anytime the kid reads like part of his story it cuts to Sam Rockwell doing like acting out the sci-fi scenes and it looks like this horribly horribly low budget like sci-fi movie and then when uh, the Jermaine Clement like changes it and he starts to read some of it, it you know it's still Sam Rockwell but he plays them like super like effeminate and stuff like he completely like made him gay or something in the in the story and so Sam Rockwell's like portrayal is just completely weird and like over the top it really works in the movie and it's fucking hilarious but Sam Rockwell's a national treasure he is I can imagine they asked him if he wanted to be in this movie and told him what he was going to be doing and he was probably like fuck yes let's just do it all this weird sci-fi bullshit that doesn't have to make any sense because it's literally like a two minute clip and then go back to the real movie I, I really hope that Marvel's planning on bringing him back because I, I feel so. like I feel like Hammer was kind of wasted in that movie. Yeah, yeah. So I thought this was really funny. I had heard it was kind of terrible, but I had a good time with it. But I feel like all the hard sci-fi stuff they talk about would be right up your alley. And it, I just thought it was hilarious. So. It's up on the uh, show YouTube if you uh, want to want to watch it for free. I I might do that this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing I watched, uh, my friend that I've been trying to educate, came over this weekend. 
he wanted to watch this uh, five episode documentary series on Showtime about uh, the comedy store in LA because he's a big stand up comedy nerd. So he wanted and he didn't he doesn't have Showtime, so he wanted to watch it. It's a really good documentary if you uh, if anybody gets a chance to watch it. Um, but in that, they talk about Robin Williams some because he used to perform there every once in a while. And so I was just asking, we were talking about Robin Williams stuff, and it popped into my head. I asked him, like, have you ever seen One Hour Photo? And he's like, I don't even know what that is. So I was like, oh, buckle in, because we're going to watch One Hour Photo. Yeah. I'll tell you what it is. Upsetting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't show him a trailer. I didn't tell him what it was about. I'm just like, all right, we're watching this movie. And we started watching it. Oh, it was fantastic. Like, watching him squirm in the beginning when he starts putting the pieces together of kind of what's going on. And he's like, no, this dude is not. Oh, that's fucking creepy as shit. And I'm like, yep. This, I, I pointed out, I'm like, just remember, people will complain now that we share too much information. But just remember, you used to drop off photos at the store and give them your address and your telephone number. They could see everything you took a picture of. So keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we watched that. It was fantastic. He he absolutely loved it. He's like, this was fantastic. This was great. And I'm like, yeah, I, I love this movie. Hadn't even thought about it in a long time. And uh, finding someone who didn't even know what the movie was to watch it with made it even better. It's just, it's upsetting in so many ways. Oh, it totally is. I don't know. I, I think the worst thing is that a, a lot of it deals with the theme of, like, the horror of just abject loneliness. Mm-hmm. And God damn it, that it hurts so bad. <laughs> Watching it, you're like, no, I get it. I get why, like, why he went crazy. <laughs> I had to watch that again. I haven't yeah. seen it in a long time, and it I remember that eeriness just watching it. It was just creepy. Yeah. I even forgot, like, all the good people that were in it. Like, Robin Williams, of course, is fantastic. I thought I forgot Gary Cole was in it. He's, like, the store manager. So all the stuff between them was really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's really easy to associate with things in that movie, and then you get upset that you can associate with them, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, like I get reasonable. you get you get some of his anger. Like I remember living in Florida and uh one of my brother's friends who lived with us, so charming dude, whatever, has the most banging hot girlfriend you've ever seen in your entire life. And on top of that, she's cool as shit, right? She's into all sorts of cool shit. She's down for what the fuck ever's going on all the time and and it was one of those things like you're so fucking jealous of him having this thing. And then that motherfucker would cheat on her constantly <laughs> with with gross chicks, like chicks who weren't even like of the same quality. And it's like, I don't un- I d- the anger I feel towards you for <laughs> for the fact that you do not understand what a precious fucking thing you have like you piece of shit yeah i want to tie you up and take pictures of random things 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, he he likes watching weird shit. Like whenever I show him a weird movie, he uh he absolutely loves it and so he absolutely loved this movie. Uh, last time he was over, we watched uh, Videodrome, and he went. He went home. He went home like the next day and told his dad, "Like, oh yeah, we were over and yeah, we watched Videodrome." He said his dad just started laughing at him. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that was fantastic. If anybody hasn't uh, hasn't revisited one-hour photo in a while, I'd highly recommend it. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Next week, we keep going. More Kurt Russell month. And next week is going to be Cop Week. Uh, So, we're going to be talking about the ultimate buddy cop team-up movie, Tango and Cash. And then we're going to be following that up with an old-timey western tombstone. Oh, right. He does play a cop in Tombstone. Yeah. Wait. Wait, what? Was that on the list? Uh, It wasn't originally, but I changed it, which I sent you, told you guys in the chat, but obviously nobody read it. You said I'm changing it, and I was like, well, I don't know what it says now, so there's no point in me checking what you're changing it to. (laughs) Well, well, goddammit. Now I watched one of the movies I didn't even need to watch. Oh, uh, Dark Blue. Did you watch that one? No, no, I watched uh, uh, Breakdown. Breakdown has never been on the list, has it? I think it might have been. Thrillers from the 90s under Kurt Russell Appreciation Month. Breakdown uh, and Unlawful Entry. Yeah, we still have um, three Mondays to go. So that's going to happen. So you're you're just two weeks ahead. Well, goddamn it! <laughs> I'm not gonna remember this fucking movie that long. Robin, do you want to push it? We can oh, we can push. I'll have to I'll have to watch no, it. No, no, no. Let's <laughs> we'll say we could change breakdown and unlawful entry to next week. That's fine. No. They all get to get watched sometime. You already said it. It's official that it's cop oh. week next week. Okay. So be it. Cop week next week, and then uh, following week. <laughs> unlawful entry and breakdown. And then it all culminates in the <laughs> ultimate week of Christmas. <laughs> Fucking eye patch week. <laughs> uh, it's the most ridiculous team up we've ever done. <laughs> I, that can't be true. Well, I mean, it's no Edgar Allan Poe the fourth, like back on. Uh, uh, <laughs> Again, last Oracast, but yeah. Um, all right, does that take us to our final review of WandaVision? Our yeah. season wrap up discussion is that what yeah. we're doing here? Uh, at least for a couple weeks, and then, uh, um, fucking, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The, uh, the amount of bitchy negative articles I'm already seeing about Falcon and Winter Soldier and it's not out yet is starting to get on my fucking nerves. Oh, really? I there's, there's a bunch of people predicting the utter failure of that show because they led with WandaVision in it, you know, this surreal action comedy 
kind mm-hmm. of thing that they were doing. And it's, and now it's going to go into more like a hard spy drama. No. Oh. People are so annoying on the internet. The one thing that's killing me right now is the number of articles from people who are angry that stuff they predicted in WandaVision didn't happen. That's yeah, like, well, you made up that that was going to happen. You just made it up that you're just at home making shit up and then getting mad if Marvel didn't make up the same shit as you. That's fucking stupid. Are you, talking, the, about, are you talking about the article that I wrote that pointed out all the things that didn't, <laughs> fan theories that didn't go anywhere? I didn't read your article because those articles yeah. are upsetting me and I didn't want to be mad at you when we started recording that. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, his, his article, he just listed off things that people predicted that didn't pan out. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, mine were mine weren't uh, saying, "Well, this is shitty because this didn't happen." Mine was just say, "Hey, guess what? All this didn't happen." Oh well. I'll, I'll tell you what. I listened to an interview with a couple of the uh, the showrunners and stuff from Wandavision, and they were talking about scenes that were cut. Hmm. And Jesus Christ, they must have had a bonkers ass writing room. Because several of them, you're like, well, that completely recontextualizes the show if that had been put in. Like, it I just... think sometimes they they do that where they they wait, that way that when they're done, they can decide which version of the show they want to put out, like how it fits into the rest of the universe and stuff. Right. Appar- apparently, there was supposed to be a scene where Wanda and the kids and. Uh, uh, Darcy and like all basically they all get together Scooby Doo gang style and they're trying to break into Agatha's basement to steal the Darkhold. Yeah. Uh, which ends up being defended by Mr. Scratchy who turns into a demon and attacks them. <laughs> I was like, that's very different. That's a very different thing. <laughs> uh, well, what happens in this episode? Uh, we get to see White Vision versus. Bodiless vision? I don't yeah, know. I don't uh, think you're allowed to say white true. vision versus colored vision. <laughs> true, true vision versus true vision versus not true vision versus not true vision. Vision yeah. body versus vision soul. Yeah. Vision vision versus the ship of Theseus problem. <laughs> yeah. I I liked the fact that when those two fought. And it's like, well, you can't really make one of them beat the other one. That doesn't make any sense because logically they shouldn't, right? Mm -hmm. So then the idea that at one point they just stopped and had a logic discussion felt very vision to me. I I liked that. And then the end, they're just like, so I guess we're just not going to fight then because we agree about the boat part. Okay. (laughs) And it's like, all right. And then uh, uh, White Vision just goes, so we'll be around in another movie then, bye, and just flies off. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, that seems right please. to me. Like that... Please, 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 please give me a Vision Quest movie. I would well, be so now, happy. You've now got Vision's body with Vision's memories, but still back to not understanding emotions in the same way. Is that... Yeah, that's the logic I take it's, from it. It's, so that it's, sets him it's, up to be. It, yeah, it's vision with everything that makes vision vision, except for his quote fingers soul. Yeah. Mm. So you're gonna have him probably relearning how to 
interact with people and stuff in an upcoming storyline, whether that's in his own movie or another season of the show, or it's just filtered into other films as needed. Yeah. I really hope it's a movie. I don't know if I mentioned this when we talked about Vision Quest last time. Uh, Vision Quest exists solely because the writer of that comic book, whose name slips my mind at the moment, uh, fucking hated that character. He, he fucking hated the Vision. He fucking hated Wanda. And he wanted to, like, cast them to the cast them into the wind, basically. Hmm. So that's why everything that happened happened. He was like, I'm going to kill their children. <laughs> like, fuck them. I hate them. So like, rob Vision you. of his soul and break uh, him and Wanda up. So John John Byrne, yeah. Hmm. In which the fu- the funny thing is for for a guy who hated those characters, he ended up writing like one of the seminal works that <laughs> kind of affected the character forever going forward. Hmm. Uh, we get the ultimate uh, Wanda Agatha showdown, which is pretty fantastic. A lot of people are complaining about the fact that it's these witches shooting things at each other in the sky, but I really liked watching it. So did I. I, I. I thought, like, that battle up there where they're just blasting their different colored lasers at each other. And then, of course, like, it turns out Wanda simply outsmarts her because it's mm-hmm. not really about the power. It's about knowing how to use it with the yeah. very obviously set up, whatever those, what, what were those things called? Those symbols that runes. The runes. Runes, yeah. That, I mean, that was... If I have a, a, a criticism of the show, and I don't have many, it's that that was a little heavy-handed with the foreshadowing. So when they started blasting at each other, I'm like, I know what's coming. <laughs> yeah, then uh, Wanda does her old mind trick that we saw back in Age of Ultron. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was a lot of fun. Took us back to... Agatha getting uh, uh, tied up at the stake or whatever, and then and then all the witches coming back to life, which I thought was kind of an awesome visual. Yeah, cool visual and cool to see a throwback to um, Age of Ultron like that. I, mm-hmm. I like that they still kind of like remind us that it's like, oh yeah, this is all connected. Remember, she has this power. Don't don't forget <laughs> that she has this power, kind of thing. Uh, so now uh, Agatha has, has been reverted to Agnes and is now just living in this. <laughs> Her punishment is she just has to live in this fucking village and yeah. just be the annoying neighbor until the next time that she's plot convenient and they'll find a way to break her out. And it's, like, and it's not even like a TV version, it's just a regular town, so people are gonna get tired of her shit real quick. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine a character like that in real life? Ugh. They're gonna be like, this bitch is annoying. Pretty much. Uh, then, uh, uh, when all the townspeople get let loose and they basically tell Wanda, like, you've fucking kept us captive, and every time you had a nightmare, we had a nightmare, and like all this stuff, and. Yeah. The part about, like, her. Uh the one character is like, can you just let my kids out of their room? 
because apparently yeah. there's certain characters that wanted just hadn't gotten around to controlling yet, so they were just tucked away for later. <laughs> so they, they weren't needed yet. And it's like, holy oh. shit, that's, that's pretty dark by MCU standards. <laughs> oh, God. Um... Oh, and then it turns out that the whole Pietro thing was just a setup for a boner joke. I like that. I, am I the only one that thinks it's great that they, at this point, because we're talking about how like these fans who are you know expecting so much from the show and getting mad when they don't get what they expect, and it turns out that this was predicted by the showrunners, so they put some shit in there to fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> this was just one of them. Uh, and I like it because there's that and then they like uh, Emma Caulfield has come out now and said like yeah it was total stunt casting they told her from the beginning like we're bringing you in because everyone will think you're a bigger part and then you're just not gonna be <laughs> it was done on purpose just to get everyone talking <laughs> and I'm like that's great I love that they're assholes it makes it more fun for me yeah that's fun um and then uh, did anybody watch post credit stuff? Yeah, of course. Kind of, of a monster do you monster. think I am? <laughs> uh, so we see Monica's all set up for Captain Marvel 2. Yeah. Uh, Scroll shows up and tells her, hey, yep. you got to go up into space now. Uh, and then I guess I don't know, the big one at the end. Where Wanda's reading, reading the Darkhold. She's pulling the astral projection stuff that I guess Doctor Strange does. Yeah. What a, I was going to say, what a weird ending in which it's pseudo, pseudo predictable, but once you knew the Darkhold was involved. But it's weird to try to redeem her a little mm-hmm. bit, only to have her reading the dark hold in the poor credits you know what I mean like it's like fuck well I, I think what they're finally doing with this character which they haven't really done in the MCU much is they're just saying like look maybe she's not a good guy or a bad guy maybe she's just a chick that's been through a whole bunch of shit and she's just doing her best kind of thing like yeah she did terrible things because terrible things were done to her and it's not as simple as good guys versus bad guys the way superhero movies like to portray things. I, I kind of think that's an interesting idea. Because the implication from the noise in this is that like, she's essentially a villain at the end of this series. It turns out this whole thing was just her origin story, basically, for how she became a villain. But the implication with the kids screaming in the background as she reads that book is that going forward, she's going to be trying to rescue her kids. Well, we're obviously going to be on her side if she's trying to rescue her kids. So mm-hmm. it, it's complicated, and that could keep things interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm down for whatever. Whatever they show us next. I think she's supposed to be in the Spider-Man movie, so I think that's coming out around Christmas time. Yeah. Goddamn well knows there could be a new pandemic by then. I'm not getting <laughs> hopes up for anything. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I got uh, the Ebola. Yeah, then I think Doctor Strange 2 is supposed to be next year. Um, yeah. 
So, yeah, overall, I'm I have so, to go. I'm so glad that Captain America and Winter Soldier are starting so close to the end of this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe Disney finally learned their lesson about those shows and be like, okay, you guys need another show in the shoot for when one runs out. <laughs> well, no, this was always the plan. It's just taken them a while to get the rotation up and running. So. Yeah, because I think they actually had to shut down production on this due to positive COVID test at some point, which is why some people are speculating that uh, Darcy disappears <laughs> at one point and then shows up for one scene at the end. Is because they couldn't get her to uh, to get on set because of whatever reason. Oh, Sorry about your car. Yeah. Enjoy prison. <laughs> what? What exactly is that guy going to prison for? Can we discuss that for a sec? Uh, well, a whole bunch of reasons. Okay. <laughs> that's that's not a real answer. Brian, can you give me a real answer, please? Uh, well, he forged he forged uh, footage, obviously, of Wanda stealing yeah. uh, Vision's body. Um, was it he was trying to... He unleashed a weapon... On the United States, I guess. Right. He built he, fire authority. Yeah, he built he built a sentient weapon, which is illegal. He brought Vision back from the dead without against Vision's living will, supposedly, which illegal. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't buy that one because I don't think that that living will counts because it's like having a pet. It's like legally speaking, that's just property, right? Well, no, no, because because he. He's sentient. But the new version of Vision is just a robot. Has no soul. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But he still built he still built a sentient weapon, which is against the Sarkovia Accord. Mm-hmm. Is that stated in the show? Uh, I'm gonna say yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean that that's literally because so you want they they do mention that literally Sword's entire job was finding and stopping sentient weapons. So him Assembling and building one's probably not good. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, didn't Darcy break in, bust their firewall, and find out a bunch of crazy shit that he was doing or something? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there was all there was all sorts of stuff. Like he was tracking Wanda the whole time and knew a bunch of stuff the whole time and was lying and letting people get hurt. And mm-hmm. the government officials don't go to jail for that. I mean, I understand this is a fake universe, but not that fake. Yeah, I was getting ready to say, this is a superhero <laughs> show where there's justice in the world. <laughs> yeah, then where they find out that, uh, you know, fucking Nazis are in control of the government, that they didn't just shrug their shoulders, like, you know, what happened in real life down here. Yeah. <sighs> It was nice. It was an impressive uh, wrap up for as short of time as they had to wrap everything up. Yeah, to put they put vision out there in the world. They did. They made another uh, Jimmy Woo is a leader of a group reference. Mm-hmm. Which uh, this was supposed to be like what? Three months after Endgame, I think. That sounds about right. 
and I think the last Spider-Man movie took place about eight months after, which means Vision's out there somewhere. He's just not showing himself. Yeah, sometimes their timelines are screwy. Yeah, like it's, it's it, I don't know. Everything's really interesting. I was really expecting Tang to be the next Thanos. Yeah. And now I'm starting to think that maybe that's a red herring. I think uh, obviously we know that Kang is coming, but I almost wonder if Kang isn't going to end up being a throwaway one movie villain, yeah. which would be weird. But. Yeah, I'm wondering because I think they had mentioned that I don't think they're focusing on like a singular villain like they did with Thanos for a while. Well, the last time I heard anything from Disney, it had sounded like they were talking about splitting the MCU into two and that there was going to be a big villain for like the Earth people and a big (laughs) villain for the cosmic people. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. Seems like maybe they should do some shorter shorter phases than they did last time. And then uh, have the big event to be Galactus finally showing up. Yeah. I was going to say, although you can't do Galactus till we get Fantastic Four. Yeah, that'll happen. He was supposed to be in this, you know. He was going to be the engineer. That's what everybody said. It's interesting how many plot points they left hanging at the end was in the town that that Jimmy Woo was looking for. Mm-hmm. We, we never found out who the engineer was that they were <laughs> getting a hold of. Well, I mean, I wasn't that that lady? Wasn't she just nobody? Do what now? Wasn't it just the lady they met up with? Wasn't that the engineer? Yeah. No, it wasn't. She was just an engineer. Not just an engineer. It's hard to become an engineer. I don't want to brush it off. (laughs) Either either way, it wasn't it wasn't a uh, wasn't a thing that they did in the show. Unless five movies from now they just flash back to that scene and then give that character superhero powers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of stuff. Like I said, if you read my article on the uh, on the fan theories that didn't pan out, seems like there's lots of stuff where they could have inserted stuff, but they uh, ended up not doing it. I was gonna say I'm half tempted to get online and look up Marvel and look up truck drivers because, okay. well, so Jimmy Woo's contact. They kept talking about how he wasn't in the town. He never showed up on the show. And it, there at the end, the whenever Wanda's being accosted by all those people, one of the ladies says, my husband's a truck driver, and he was out of town when this happened. Oh, Tell yeah. him never to come home. And so I was like, oh, see, so there's a member of the town that's outside of the town. Ah. So it's a whole spinoff show about a guy just delivering shit, and it turns out that he... Well, somehow. Well, I was randomly thinking. I wonder if there's a superhero whose secret identity is a truck driver. No, I mean, I think that's obvious that it's it's Wolverine. I mean, come on. That would be random. That's that's the kind of stretches that people are doing for some of these fan theories. Like, well, it's going to be Wolverine. He's going to show up at the end. It's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Why, why would he? 
Uh, yeah, why would he be in witness protection? I don't know. It's just that's the kind of shit, like... People, the fan theories, people put a lot of weight onto this show that they were supposed to set up the next, like, 20 years of fucking Marvel by introducing the X-Men and Fantastic Four and Mephisto and, like, all this other shit. It's like, Jesus, people, just let it be what it's going to be. Calm down. Yeah. Well, I think the problem is that people love to talk about all this shit, and then without being able to binge watch it, it gave people, like, a week every like every week they could just sit and think and yeah. people shouldn't be allowed to do that <laughs> fans should be allowed to think and have access to the internet no really if a lot fewer people had access to the internet it would make my life better as long as I could still go on the internet and the content <laughs> I enjoy viewing was still there <laughs> is that too big of an ask probably unfortunately yeah. yeah, I don't know. I liked everything about the show. Yeah, uh, episodes could have been longer. They could have. I and you guys know how much I hate cliffhangers, so they could have wrapped more things up a little better. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with leaving things open because obviously this is going to continue over into movies. But they may they somehow managed to resolve nothing. <laughs> like at the end of the show. <laughs> Like, to pseudo-resolve it, and then unresolve it. Well, it's a weird thing where, like, everybody assumed that the show was here for the purposes of setting up everything that's to come. It turns out it was kind of a standalone story. And yeah. That's okay. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Wanda's, uh, Wanda's Scarlet Witch costume, the new one, is badass. I was yeah. so fucking happy with it. Yeah, my thought was cool too. I mean, if they just left her in the one from the Halloween episode, I'd be just as happy. But... <laughs> uh, the the funny thing is, I saw a bunch of people online complaining. They're like, "Oh, so her powers are magic now? That's dumb. That doesn't make any sense." I was like, "How does that? What?" <laughs> her fucking name is Scarlet Witch, and you're shocked I... that she has magic powers. Well, wow. and they never said it's not magic. And in Doctor Strange, they they go out of their way to kind of explain that what people call magic is something else. Like, it's just more complicated than that. Yeah. Even uh, like in Thor, I think they've mentioned that some some of the stuff that we consider magic is just advanced science to them. Yeah, something like that was said. Yeah, so... That was a good time, and I'm looking forward to uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, kind of liking the fact that it's going to be something different, which is what I used to enjoy about the Marvel movies, and then leading up to Infinity War and Endgame, like all the Marvel movies kind of became very samey, yeah. which kind of bummed me out. So, yeah. Although, so I, I agree, but at the same time, I also feel like they hit their stride, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's it's great that Thor, the first two Thor movies were a little different, but they kind of fucking sucked. Comparatively. Well, but I feel like you could watch an Iron Man movie 
and those were decent. I mean, people had problems with the last two, but like you could watch a, a, a Iron Man movie for like a fun action movie, and then you watch Winter Soldier for like a political intrigue movie that still, yes, has some action in it, but is feels like a different genre of movie. But they all take right. place in the same universe, and that's uh, kind of some stuff I would like to get back to experiencing different things. I thought this WandaVision was a good start because it's a real uh, doesn't feel like anything else really that we've seen from Marvel so far, but still feels grounded within the universe. Right. Yeah, I would say like like my top two at the moment are probably still Winter Soldier and maybe Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. And, they're, and they're two very, very different films. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good example too of like the different the different things like a you know fucking another space opera type thing and then political intrigue movie so right right goofy versus um i don't know would you call it political intrigue i don't know i think it's like a spy action movie i guess yeah but i mean there's like political stuff in it where yeah. higher ups well, in the government are i was going I was after gonna him say- Complicated, complicated is what I would call Winter Soldier. For sure, it's it's deep. It's it's much deeper than a lot of the Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anything else? I guess. Uh, I, I mean, super happy with that show. Gives me a mm-hmm. lot of hope for what's coming forward. Basically, mm-hmm. what you guys have been saying. So. Yeah. Yeah, and as far as like stuff on Disney Plus, I mean. Like I said, we got this sort of, a, I don't know, I guess military action type stuff for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then after that, we got, looks like another surreal, weird Loki series, which I'm all about. And that's coming out in June. The so, Loki one's the one I'm the most hesitant about. Yeah? I don't know. I think... Uh, I think Tom Hiddleston's charisma as Loki can carry a lot of stuff, even if it is not super great. So we'll see. Well, post WandaVision now, I'm just hopeful that they do a thing where like, every episode has a different like feel to it. Sort of like the sitcoming, jumping from era to era. You could do that, mm-hmm. where Loki's in a different time zone or whatever. Not time zone, yeah. time frame every, every episode, and it'd be fun. Yeah. And you're right, he can pull that off, so. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. So, There's one thing we learned from WandaVision. It's don't fucking spend all your time predicting what's coming next, because you're not going to get it right. <laughs> no. I was going to say, I do like I do like the fact that they did it in a way where you get some of the stuff right, and you get some of the stuff wrong, and you're not disappointed either time. Mm-hmm. We yeah. don't get I, I dig. I dig that. I, there's nothing. There's nothing I dislike more than a movie where the first ten minutes of the movie, I go, I know how this movie ends. Yeah, I agree. Uh, speaking of which, I just saw um, uh, they cast the villain for the third season of Doom Patrol. Oh yeah. She was just on. Uh, she was on uh, Doctor Who for Capaldi's run. 
and uh, she was on Sabrina on Netflix recently. I don't know her name. She's playing like Madame Madame Rouge. Do you know who that is? I don't know that one off the top of my head. Oh. Well, they call it a classic Doom Patrol villain, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, I was going to say one of the reasons why I liked Doom Patrol so much might be because I'm not intimately familiar with them. Yeah. Does that make sense? I know I know all the characters by their interactions with other comic books. I don't think I've ever sat down and read a shit ton of Doom Patrol. Uh, I read the first Graham Morrison trade. And it's about as weird as the TV show. Because they took a lot of stuff from that for the TV show. So... Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Did you finish season two yet? No. Still savoring, huh? Yep. Just slowly working my way through. <laughs> well, because it's it's one of the few shows that I think whenever I hit the end, I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be like, oh, oh, I don't have any more episodes to watch. God damn it. Well, HBO Max puts them out week to week, too. So whenever the new season starts, if you still have HBO Max, you're going to have to wait week to week. Yeah, I'm getting back to the point. I because of getting HBO Max, I hit this stride where I had tons and tons of stuff to like watch that I'd been really excited about, but hadn't had a chance. Mm-hmm. But now I've made it through almost all that stuff, and I'm getting back to the point where I'm like, "Fuck, I'm running out of shows." Must not be running out of too much. You didn't watch Jack shit last week. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. Now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.